be seated. You know, to start out this morning, I thought, thought I would uh, give you a glimpse into my daily life. Did you guys know that, that every day of my life is nothing but calm and, and quiet? Then my alarm goes off. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Last week, Peter, James, and John were on the mountain with Jesus, the Mount of Transfiguration. Matthew 17, 9 says, as they were coming down from the mountain, and I want just to set the context to remember the scene up there, how out of this world it was. Jesus was... He's talking with Moses and Elijah. And a cloud of God's glory comes on them all and the Father's voice from the cloud, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. You think about Peter, James, and John, you say, wow, what a spiritual high. Right? I mean, they literally saw Jesus in a different light that day. But they weren't meant to stay there. Things are about to get very different. As they're coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision. You imagine how hard that was? They probably couldn't wait to go tell the other guys, right? You won't believe what we saw. He says, tell no one until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Now, this would have been jarring, I think, after this glorious moment. Raised from the dead right away. A stark reminder that Jesus still had to die. And the disciples asked him, and why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? This is probably sparked because they had just seen Elijah on the mountain, right? But Jesus said in verse 11, Elijah does come and he will restore all things. So what are the disciples wrestling with here? They're trying to put two and two together and say, hey, if, if Elijah restored all things, if he made all things right, how can the people still kill the Messiah? That don't make no sense. They're thinking, right? And Jesus goes on, but I tell you that Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the son of man will certainly suffer at their hands. What's he saying to them? He's saying John the Baptist did do his part. He, he turned hearts to God. But as a whole, the nation still rejected him. He was killed by, by Herod, the king. And Jesus said, it will be the same for me. Then the disciples understood, verse 13, that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. So I think about that contrast. I want to say the first of four ideas I want us to take out of here today. The first one is this, bliss on the mountaintop does not exempt us from battle in the valley. Not just the reminder of the suffering in the cross here, but I want you to check out the chaotic scene they, they walk into. Mark helps us here. Mark 9.14 says, when, when they came to the disciples, Peter, James, John, and Jesus, they come to the rest of the disciples, 
they saw a great crowd around them and, and scribes, religious teachers arguing with them. There's this argument going on and we're not told what was said, but I, I can imagine what it might have been. Maybe the scribes are looking at Jesus' followers and saying, you all say you're the follower of the true Messiah, but you can't cast this demon out. Your leader must be a fraud. And maybe you can hear some of Jesus' louder disciples maybe firing back, yeah, well, you don't even realize your scriptures point to Jesus. Get a clue. There's this arguing going on, this chaos. What a contrast from the mountaintop, right? And there's more. There's more. Back to Matthew 17, 14. says, when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. We go to Luke chapter 9, verse 39. He says, the spirit convulses my son so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him. Any parents right now, your, your heart's with this guy, right? You see this happening to your kid. You can put yourself in his place. This spirit will hardly leave him. Mark 9, 17, he says he has a spirit that makes him mute, and whatever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he, he foams and grinds his teeth and, and becomes rigid. You put yourself in the shoes of Peter, James, and John. Maybe to some small extent we can. Imagine you wake up in the morning, you have your time in the Word, some time in prayer, and, and then you hear, Honey, the toilet's overflowing. <laughs> Mom, she hit me. Oh, he hit me first. Or you get a text from work. You better get in here ASAP. You won't believe what the boss is doing today. Or maybe it's something heavier. You get a call and find out someone you love is having suicidal thoughts. Someone you love says they want to transition genders. Someone you love is turning away from their faith in Jesus. All of a sudden, you've gone from bliss to battle. And I think it's important to hold on to the words of Susanna Wesley, the mother of John Wesley, the evangelist. She said, help me, Lord, to remember that religion is not to be confined to the church or the closet, nor exercised only in prayer and meditation, but that everywhere I'm in thy presence. In his presence, even as we step from the bliss into the, the battle. And it goes on. It gets worse. Verse 16, this man says to Jesus, I, I brought my son to your disciples and, and they couldn't heal him. When you talk about a situation that probably looked hopeless and impossible to, to many in that crowd, you say, how would Jesus respond to all this? You might be surprised. First, he responds with frustration. You know, Jesus got frustrated. Verse 17, Jesus answered, Oh, faithless and twisted generation. Twisted can be translated as perverse. 
How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? After all he had shown them, there was still this great lack of faith. And he found it frustrating. We'll come back to this. First frustration, then compassion. Verse 17, Jesus said, bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him. And the boy was healed instantly. From the bliss of the mountaintop into the battle. Second point here. The failures of Jesus' followers do not exempt you and I from our need for Jesus. The failures of Jesus' followers do not exempt you and I from our need for Jesus. I think about this. I think, what if the man had looked at Jesus' followers and their failure and said, these guys couldn't heal my son. Their master must be a fraud and gave up and walked away with his demon-possessed boy. Thank the good Lord he did not. He pressed on through the failure of Jesus' followers to Jesus himself and received what was needed. Mark tells us he even pressed on despite his own internal doubts. I'm so thankful for this passage in Mark. Mark 9, 22, the guy comes up to Jesus and says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. I like Jesus' response. He says, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And then how many of us have been in the place of this man right here? Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. I'm so thankful that prayer's in the Bible. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up. And he arose. So thankful he didn't walk away because of the failure of Jesus' followers. I know it's a temptation for many today, right? Maybe for some of you to look at the church and say, they're a bunch of hypocrites. I give up. I, I'm, I'm walking away. I think about that, and I think about a story that's gone around recently. This woman comes up to the pastor and she says, I'm, I'm tired of being at church. I see all the people just on their phones and pastor, I, I see what they're doing. They're gossiping during your, during your sermon. I see them texting gossip around. I can't handle it anymore. I'm not, I'm not coming anymore. And he said, I got a challenge for you. He said, next Sunday, I want you to fill a cup of water all the way to the brim. And during service, while we're singing, while I'm preaching the whole service, I want you to walk around with that full cup of water and make sure it doesn't spill. And so she does that for the whole hour. And uh, he comes up to her after and he said, do you notice any hypocrisy, any gossip this morning? She said, no. He said, why not? She said, because I was so focused on that cup of water not spilling. 
He said, I got an idea for you. How about when you come in here, you have that same kind of focus on Jesus? Because that's where your focus needs to be. Jesus issues the invite. He says, come to me, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. John 6, 35, he said to the crowd, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I want to challenge you today. Do not let the failure of Jesus' followers keep you from taking him up on his word this man pressed through it third point future majesty does not exempt us from from present ministry why do i say that well luke 9 43 luke says after this happened it says all were astonished at the majesty of god they were blown away that what looked impossible jesus did with a word all were astonished at the majesty of God. And I agree with those like Warren Wearsby who look at this whole incident of Jesus coming down off the Mount of Transfiguration into the darkness and, and casting the demon out of this boy. He says, I believe there's a foreshadowing here of what's going to happen when Jesus returns from glory and locks up that serpent for a thousand years and sets up for a thousand years his millennial reign and sits on David's throne. How many of you looking forward to that? I am. But here's the question. Should the reality of that future event make you and I passive right now? Just, just wait around till he comes. Did that reality make the church in Acts passive? No, it's said of that church, they turned the world upside down. Think about that day drawing closer. And I think about this morning, I was almost done with my run and I was getting close to home. And by that time I was walking and I had my music going and someone stopped their car next to me and rolled down the window. And I saw, and I didn't know what they were going to say. And I went over, took off my headphones and this lady said, faster, faster. Faster, faster. I think about the fact that as the day draws near, time is short. I want to be used while I can. I want to be like those in Ephesians 5.16 that Paul says are making the most of every opportunity. Final of the four main ideas I want us to take home today. Past resourcing from the Lord does not exempt us from present reliance. Past resourcing does not exempt us from present reliance. Remember what Jesus' response to the lack of belief was? Go back to verse 17. Jesus said, oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? And I wonder if his disciples down there thought, yeah, Jesus, you tell them. This whole crowd needs to hear that. They're about to find out he was talking to them too. They're, they're kind of like this meme that's going around on Facebook right now. It's a pastor, and he says, I don't know why you're smiling. I was talking about you. <laughs> they're about to find out that that message was for, for them, too. And, and it brings us to the question, even as his followers, is, is he ever 
lovingly frustrated with your lack of faith, with my lack of faith. The disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? That's a good question, because they're probably thinking back to Matthew 10. He was getting them ready for a mission, right? And it, it says he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. He had given them the authority to do that. But he's going to talk to them about something very important right here. The importance of present right now faith. Verse 20, he said to them, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, and you all seen the picture, small, smallest seed, tiny, tiny. You'll say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. That whole mountain thing it was a Jewish understanding. That's a difficulty, something that looks impossible. And he's saying, if you had faith that's as small as a mustard seed, it's small, but, but it's alive, even what the, the I believe help my unbelief kind of faith that the man had shown. Evidently, the disciples in this moment had less than even that present faith. And he's going to talk to them about the importance of present prayer. Present prayer. Mark 9, 29 gives us this. He said to them, this kind of demon cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. I was thinking about prayer and thinking about my dad as he prepares for the prayer meeting this Wednesday. The theme is going to be pray without ceasing. And, and it reminded me, strangely enough, you'll see where I'm going, hopefully. I just finished reading 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. I got curious with Jules Verne because Emmett Brown and Back to the Future like Jules Verne. So I said, I'm going to read one of those. <laughs> I read it, and there's this scene where Captain Nemo and his guys show up in this part of the sea filled with clams, filled with hundreds and hundreds of, of valuable pearls. And they step out of their, their submarine and they put on their, their scuba gear and they just walk around down there at leisure, harvesting hundreds of these pearls. And while they're down there, they notice a native of the country nearby on a little boat. He would tie a rock to his shoe, take a deep breath and go down and barely had time to grab one before he could get up with that pearl. And I was thinking about it like this. If we think about the reality that there are pearls of ministry opportunities out there for you and I, right, to, to harvest in God's power and in his time. I compare Nemo and his guys to those who pray without ceasing, right? They're down there just harvesting them. Why? Because the believers connected in prayer to the Father, the, the guy who had to take a deep breath and, and couldn't stay down there long, maybe he's the guy that, that prays on Sunday but then kind of sets that aside uh, the, the rest of the week. But you got to wrestle with something here. You, you got faith, you got prayer, you've also got the reality of God's will, right? God is sovereign. 
Context is important. 1 John 5.14 says, If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, right? But I want to say a couple things. Do not miss the contrast between Jesus and his disciples here. He's been up on the mountain, what? Praying to his father. He comes down and casts out this demon. They're down there prayerless, unable to do it. And I want to ask you, myself this morning, what has God called you to do? What has he empowered you? What has he given you spiritual gifts to do? What promises has he made in scripture? Do we believe? Do we have that faith of a mustard seed? If we do believe, I believe we will be those who pray. As we come to our close this morning, I I think back to how impossible this situation must have looked. Jesus' disciples couldn't do it. There's arguing. I want to ask the question, when you look out at the world around you, maybe your own life, where does it look impossible today? Where does it look impossible? Maybe it's in your own life. Maybe it's as you look around at the culture and you see the demonic deception taking hold of many hearts. Maybe you look at the culture and you see the demonic desperation that is causing suicide rates to climb to unprecedented levels. Listen, I look at this little boy and you see that the demon threw him down. Right? Satan comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I, I see a Savior here who, who takes him by the hand and lifts him up. And I want to ask you the question, is Jesus still doing that in lives today? Yes. Yes, he is. I want to share a few examples. Carolyn and I had lunch this week with Larry and Deanna. Deanna had been a teacher for a lot of years, and and she had a student. The name has changed. We'll call him Alex. When she first met Alex, she noticed Alex had had a beard and a deep voice. But he also had a blonde wig and a skirt and stockings. And I want to ask you right now, how many of you, your first reaction is, there is nothing I can do here? She didn't take that tack. She went home and she prayed to the Lord, Lord, as your ambassador, what do I do with this situation you've given me, this person you've put in my path? And she said the, she went and prayed with a friend about it to give, that God would give her guidance as to how to navigate this. And, and what God clearly impressed on her heart was do not validate their sin but love them. And she, she began down that path with this individual to the point where Alex would come see her after class to confide in her. And one day Alex told her how depressed he was at times because of the, the ways people treated him, the things people said to him. And Alex said, would you please write down something to encourage me at those moments. She went back to her prayer closet and prayed, Lord, what what do I write down? And the Lord put it on her heart. You you put scriptures down 
for Alex. And she said she, she put scriptures for all kind of life situations down. And Alex had a Bible that he never read from, from his grandma. She said she even spent time showing him how to look them up for himself because he didn't know what the names and numbers and colons were all about. We don't know how that story finished up, but what I love about that story is rather than saying this is a situation I could do nothing about, in faith and prayer she went to the Lord and said, what would you have me do here? I heard another story. My dad was in a waiting room my mom's physical therapy. And someone was there in the waiting room. They're talking about their health issues, right? We call that the organ recital, my this, my that, you know. <laughs> Person says, I'm, I'm not sure when this is all over if I'm going to heaven. Maybe I'll have to spend some time in purgatory. My, my dad said, there's no need for that. Let me tell you about a savior who died for you so you can know you're going to heaven. And right there this week in a waiting room in Prescott Valley, that man gave his life to the Lord. God's still working. I think about this group coming in here next week to share with us, Childhood Evangelism Fellowship. How many of you, if you're honest, you look around at the culture and maybe you even said things like this. You're like, oh, I wouldn't want to have kids in this day and age. It's a uh, there, there's almost a hopelessness, uh, 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 a belief that's crept in that it's impossible for God to work in this darkness. Counter that with Childhood Evangelism Fellowship. When I met with Bill, who's coming here next week, they started in Washington, D.C. after they won their Supreme Court case to get in every public school. And they, they put 120 good news clubs in schools, public schools in Washington, D.C., they're doing it around here. And they say parents are just looking for something for their kids to do. And guess what? Kids are coming to Jesus. We're going to see how we can be involved in prayer. Maybe going. My son and I, Jaden, are feeling led to be part of that team. Maybe it'll tug on your heart too. Listen, I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if you're on the mountaintop in that bliss or... You're, you're in the battle right now, but I want you to carry these realities home with you. Bliss on the mountain does not exempt us from battle in the valley. The failures of Jesus' followers do not exempt us from our need for him. Future majesty does not exempt us from today's ministry. And finally, past resourcing does not exempt us from present reliance. Lord, I thank you so much that you stepped into a situation that looked impossible and you showed them and us that with, with God all things are possible. I pray, Lord, for anyone on the mountain this morning that you'd give them that deep sense of reality that, that what's happening with you on the mountain is meant to equip them for the battles they're, they're going to face. Lord, help them take, take that with you, take you with them to stay connected in faith and prayer. I pray for those who are right in the middle of the, the valley right now and it's looking impossible. What you've called them to do looks like a wall that could never come down. Remind them of, of Jericho, Lord, 
Remind them that they can trust in you. They can cry out to you. And that everything within your will is completely and utterly possible in your almighty hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.